Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good? Yeah, yeah. Good to have everyone here. Yes, praise the Lord. Um, so this past week, I had my car broken into, and uh, the poor, yeah, the poor gentleman who was with me, I had all of his baggage, so that all his luggage got taken, and I had my computer stolen, and that's a big deal for me, and um, and I felt all kinds of things. Right? You feel you feel violated, you feel angry, you feel all kinds of different ways. And, uh, and so uh, we're talking about justice <laughs> this morning. And so I demand some justice. Uh, I demand some justice, which is really fascinating because um, justice can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And uh, I think that this is going to be a, this is an important conversation that the church needs to continue to dialogue through. So I'm, I'm excited to start the conversation at the very least today. Um, I will say this, I'm not, I'm not really calling this a sermon or a preaching. I'm, I'm going to call it a talk. And if that offends you because you think we should be preaching every Sunday, I apologize. But this really is a talk because um, we're really going to just take a, an overview uh, over justice. And to be honest, this foundation series has been incredible. Um, last week, I honored Pastor Roger for, for sharing uh, and walking us through what the Bible has to say on abortion. Uh, none of these topics are easy, and all of these topics deserve probably a year. <laughs> you know, they deserve, all of these topics deserve much more than just the 45 minutes that we put on the clock. Uh, and so I understand that, that really we're just beginning these conversations, but we're calling it foundations uh, because it's not that the world is confused, but the church is too. And so there, this is, there's got to be a bedrock place of truth that we uh, move into the world in both gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. And so, uh, so we're gonna, I'm going to talk through justice. And there are going to be many of you in here that are going to feel like I didn't say enough. Or some of you are going to feel like I didn't say too much. Welcome to our current climate when it comes to being a pastor of any kind in this particular situation and setting. So I pray that you pray for me as I pray for you and uh, that we would move forward together. And throughout this talk, we will definitely have a phone number on the screen. You can text and ask questions. Uh, We will attempt to answer that. Well, we will answer most of them during the midweek. Uh, Your questions are not anonymous. There are three of us on staff that do see who sends in the text. And so if we feel like we can't get to your question, your question deserves more than you know, the 60 seconds that Instagram live gives us, then uh, we will definitely reach out personally and do our best to have a conversation. We are always open no matter what uh, to have a conversation with you. Um, And so with that being said, a couple of other PSA, uh, I have to say that I am standing on the shoulders of uh, men and women who are a lot smarter than me this morning. Uh, Been doing a lot of reading, researching through, and definitely have a baseline of justice, but um, I am definitely standing on a lot of um, shoulders of other individuals throughout this conversation, throughout this talk today. And so I think what I want to do is I want to circle back uh, on Wednesday, and Kat, if you could just remind me and make sure that I can... um, Uh, I can make those resources available. Uh, I'm going to quote people throughout the conversation today. 
And so if you are on a journey of justice yourself and you want to read some of these articles or books or resources, uh, you are, feel free to pull your phone out, snap a picture, or you can get a hold of us later. And I, I would love to send you more resources so you can take this journey as well. Amen? It's not too difficult to see that we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem, right? Uh, uh, And we have a problem that's not just a problem in the world and in the culture, but it's also a problem inside of the church. And let me explain what this problem is. Uh, uh, The problem is this. Gone are the days when you can use the word justice and assume everyone in the building has the same definition. Gone are the days where you can say the word justice, which I'm not even sure if there was ever a day where justice meant the same thing for everybody. But really, gone are the days where you could talk about justice and just assume that everyone in the congregation has the same definition and the same ideas. Uh, This is primarily, first of all, a problem in the culture. There are many definitions in the West. Justice is hard to define. In the West, justice is hard to define. And so I just want to talk about the cultural problem. I want to walk you through it for a moment. This is going to be a real oversimplification, uh, but I just want to lay down some groundwork by which we are having this conversation in both the public spaces and of course here inside of the church. Um, when it comes to the culture, there are, there's no one definition. In fact, uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, who's, who was citing a Scottish American philosopher by the name of Alistair McIntyre's book. That he wrote, Alistair McIntyre is a Scottish American philosopher and he wrote a book and it's called Whose Justice, Which Rationality? And in that book, uh, he identifies four competing views of justice in the West. If you like to take notes, if you like to be educated, this is definitely going to be your message. If you're one of those whites that preach, and I'm sorry, but I'll do my best to get my vein popping out and you know do all that as well at some point in time. Uh, but I definitely want to walk you through some elements of the competing views of justice. And so uh, he identifies four competing views of justice that are in the West. And again, these are going to be a bit of an oversimplification, but nonetheless, here we go. Number one is called libertarianism. Libertarianism. And this is the idea that a just society is about individual freedoms and individual rights. So in order for a society to be just, there must be a protection of my personal rights and freedom. Now, uh, in this particular uh, view of justice, uh, what's advantageous to this view or what's helpful for this view is two things. Limited government, because the larger government that you have, the more restrictions on your individual rights. And so anyone who is a libertarian would want to be about their own personal rights. They would want limited government and they would also want free, a free market, a free market to be able to pursue the right to private property to be able to pursue the right to personal wealth, so on and so forth. And so limited, limited government and free market are kind of the guardrails to somebody who is a libertarian and views that society should pursue justice uh, based off of individual rights and freedoms. Now, the Bible um, would in some ways affirm and in other ways correct this view, mainly because this view seems to focus on what we are freedom from versus what we are free to. 
So I have freedom from tyranny. I am free from all of these other elements. But the scripture says, you are free to lay down your rights. Whereas the libertarian view would say, this is all about my rights. The scripture will look at the libertarian and say, yes, but Christ has made you free so that in your freedom to love others, you will lay down your life. Number two, another view is liberalism. Again, oversimplifications here, but I definitely wanna give you a framework. Liberalism. Liberalism is the idea that a just society should provide an equal opportunity for all to pursue and achieve happiness. So liberalism is this idea that a just society should provide equal opportunity for everyone to pursue and achieve happiness. Now, this view would make way for slightly bigger government because there would be some legislation and there would, there would need to be some things that are in place in terms of the government in order to make sure that everyone has a right to pursue equally their happiness. Now, let me just kind of go back to libertarianism for a minute. If you want to just kind of simplify it down to its most basic parts, for a libertarian, justice is basically about freedom. For liberalism, justice is basically about fairness. Basically about fairness. Number three, a third competing view is called utilitarianism. Let me explain what utilitarianism is. The idea that a just society maximizes the great um, the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of people. Utilitarianism, that justice, that a just society maximizes the greatest amount of happiness for the greatest amount of people. This would be considered a majoritarian view, almost like the majority rules. Now, again, if you're looking at it, Liber, uh, libertarianism, justice is basically about freedom. Liberalism, justice is basically about fairness. And utilitarianism, or util, I'm sorry, utilitarianism is justice is basically about happiness. Are y'all with me? Okay. There's this fourth view called progressivism. It's a postmodern uh, um, idea called progressivism. And in fact, many of you will be very familiar. I'm sure all three of these elements that I've already spoken, you're kind of familiar, maybe not using in those terms, but kind of recognize some of those. Um, you'll definitely recognize this because this is getting a lot of news and a lot of political play right now. But progressivism is simply this. It's the idea that a just society must subvert the power of the dominant group in favor of the oppressed. It's the idea that a just society must subvert the power <clears throat> of the dominant groups in favor of the oppressed. 
Now, those who fall in the press, oppressed category are in this view are given the greater moral authority and credibility to see things of how they truly are. And so if you are in power, the idea behind this idea is that you truly don't know how things are because you're living in a world in which you have power. But those who are oppressed and marginalized, the most oppressed and marginalized, see the world the way it truly is because their view is from the place of oppression. In this view, if you are white, straight, cisgender male, you have the highest amount of power in the West. And so therefore you have the lowest, your voice is silenced so that the oppressed can speak up and tell you how it really is versus how you have experienced it. Are you with me? So again, I just kind of lay these down in front of you. We have libertarianism, justice is about freedom. We have liberalism, justice is about fairness. We have utilitarianism, justice is about happiness. And then we have progressivism, which is justice is basically about power dynamics, power. Now what's fascinating, all four of these views base morality and justice, not in God or religion, but in human reasoning alone. Instead of grounding justice in absolute truth and moral reasoning, uh, uh, each one at some point seems to ground truth in sentiment and feelings. And that becomes the basis of their understanding of justice. Now, one thing about the biblical version of justice, which we'll get to momentarily, is uh, we have what I would consider to be a rock-solid foundation And that our grounding of justice is not based on human reasoning, sentiment, or emotion, but it's based on a never-changing, all-loving, holy, and righteous God where truth is absolute. Now, all four of these competing views of justice that I just said from the West kind of fall on two ends of a spectrum. And so let me try to paint that picture of what that spectrum is. Some of them fall more towards the end of individualism. Individualism. What is individualism? Individualism says uh, that you are wholly a product of your choice. Individualism Individualism says you are where you are completely because of your choices. And the other side of the spectrum is collectivism, which basically says that you have no control, that you are wholly where you are because of structures and systems. Are you with me? And so these four competing views of justice all fall within these two frameworks uh, uh, on one side or the other, on opposite ends of individualism. You are where you're at because of what you did. And collectivism, you are where you're at because of what others did to you, what systems have done to you. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound familiar? Maybe it was no, and <laughs> that's okay too. I just wanna hear, we alive. Uh, it should. Uh, this is what we are seeing playing out in our culture every day. And we're exposed to this rhetoric in the culture wars, aren't we? Uh, constantly. Um, The culture wars are vying for our allegiance. Can you feel it? Uh, Campaigns, elections, and discussions on all forms of media. (laughs) What's your favorite talk show? Maybe some of you don't watch TV, but you listen somewhere. 
we are all being informed by language and rhetoric coming from somewhere. The question is, what justice do you want? Not, do you want justice? I think everyone in this room, I think, would want justice. Maybe not for someone else, but if something happens to you, you want it. And so the real question or the real problem is not, do we want justice? I think we all agree, but what justice do we want? With all of these competing views and ideologies and we turn on the news and we listen to talk radio and we go through the internet and we post our me, everything is vying for your allegiance. Now, let me just say this. It's no surprise the world is confused and divided, y'all. It is no surprise. I am not surprised at all that the world is confused and there are competing voices regarding the subject of justice. But what is perhaps nauseating and appalling and surprising is that the church in America seems to be just as confused and just as divided as the world. Fascinating because the world grounds their views of justice in something that is not absolute. So then why are you sitting in here today? And I guarantee if you were to have the conversation at lunch with somebody else and you guys are polar opposite places. I wonder what is really shaping justice in the church. And we have polarizing camps within the body of Christ. Let me, let me, let me put it like this. Let me see if you can find yourself, okay? I'm gonna name what I feel like are two camps in the church and it's gonna take some incredible humility to find yourself because these camps aren't gonna be like really beautiful things. But I'm gonna name them and some of you might get a little offended with me and I might get a couple of texts and phone calls and I get it and we can have this conversation. I'm gonna do my best to present these as graciously as possible but you're gonna hear my heart in it. And so let me just share with you what I think the two camps are in the church today. There's probably more than two camps. In fact, I know there is, but I just want to give you these two extremes. Are you ready? Number one, we must look nothing like the world. That sounds good, right? Amen? Amen? Are we okay with that? I hope that's okay. You guys are all afraid. I'm not going to say yes because I know it's coming, right? Something is coming, right? And because we don't, and, and what's really interesting is these, both of these camps, it always starts from a real like worthy place, right? We must look nothing like the world. We must reject all forms of social justice in order to protect the church from leaving the gospel of Jesus Christ and exchanging it for a social gospel. That doesn't sound too bad, Right? But here's how I've seen the results play out. As a result, we condemn any social activism and we perpetuate a kind of just preach the gospel mentality. Just preach the gospel. Any social activism that's that's, that's too far left, just preach the gospel. That's what we should be doing as a church. What's fascinating, these same individuals, some of them that I know, they say just preach the gospel. But when the church was shut down too long, they weren't just preaching the gospel. They were demonstrating, letting California know and everybody else that we need to open the churches. So there is a need for justice somewhere. There is a need for the demonstration of the gospel, not just the proclamation. But some groups 
will condemn any social activism, maybe not all, and perpetuate a kind of just preach the gospel mentality. And these groups seem to be triggered by terms. I'm gonna say some terms and these terms are triggering, but I'll explain why. Triggered by terms like social justice, systemic racism, reparations. Those are just to name a few. I try to pick the most triggering. And call Christians who use those terms socialists, cultural Marxists, or progressive Christians that don't submit to the authority of Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Many of these terms actually have biblical roots, but they have been hijacked by the world. And so there is a good and right fear that some of these terms are being hijacked by the world. But here's the problem, I think, with this camp. These terms have been hijacked and we've just surrendered them versus fighting back for them. So many of these terms have biblical roots, but have been hijacked by the world and surrendered by the church for redefinition. These individuals seem to be really motivated by fear that we look too much like the world. And I'm gonna just say seatbelts on. And what I mean by seatbelts, like, you know, when the plane says seatbelts, cause it's gonna get a little hard. These individuals seem to be motivated by fear and tend to produce disengaged churches. And in my opinion, antagonistic leaders who seem to be more concerned with ridiculing their opponents than actually loving their neighbor. That's what it seems. That's what it seems, okay? May not be in their hearts, but it seems this way. Or it is presenting this kind of feel to me. Again, disengaged churches, antagonistic leaders who seem to be more concerned with ridiculing their opponents than actually loving their neighbor. And at times, at times, they can come off cold, insensitive, and even theologically arrogant to the watching world. Moving on. There's another group that says we must look like the world. Typically younger Christians, millennial Christians. It's a knee jerk reaction to the other camp. It's a knee jerk reaction to what is being perceived as a, 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 a lack of love from the church. It also is a seduction to try and be liked to people, please. The church's credibility with non-Christians seems to be at an all time low is what this person would think. And then many young Christians are, uh, as a result, many young Christians will abandon their faith, abandon the authority of scripture and adopt secular views of justice that ultimately erode your faith and bring about a kind of demonstrating that does not reflect the lordship of Jesus Christ. The key motivating factor for group one is fear. The key motivating factor for group two is ignorance. Knee-jerk reactions. The culture has a problem, but the church has a problem. Now, I want to say this. There's good news, y'all. There's good news. The Bible 
has something to say about justice. Amen. And what it has to say about justice is robust and comprehensive enough to address all the needs of the human condition and still honor and glorify the creator and those who have been created by creator. So what do we mean when I use the word biblical justice? And that's really important. Terms are important these days. Sometimes we flippantly throw out terms. We have to remember terms are triggering. Some terms have been hijacked and stolen. And so we cannot assume when we use terms that everyone in this room knows exactly what we're trying to say. And so we use the word biblical justice so that people will know that we are not of the world, but yet we still have a justice that we are grounded in. So what is biblical justice? I want to give you two lenses and two Hebrew words that'll kind of help us unpack this. Again, not going to be able to solve the justice problem by any stretch of the imagination, but I just want to provide for you what I believe is biblical grounding for justice. Two lenses, two Hebrew words. Number one, two lenses. Biblical justice begins with a proper understanding. And Pastor Roger and myself, we've been saying this the last couple of weeks of what we call a Christian anthropology, okay? A Christian anthropology, a proper understanding of a Christian anthropology. And this Christian anthropology kind of provides us these two lenses by which we do justice. We don't just preach justice, but we do justice. Are you ready? So Christian anthropology, two lenses, let me give you these two lenses. Lens number one, and I have to go quickly here. Lens number one is Genesis 1:27, the image of God. All mankind was created in the image of God. And so the church and believers, we do justice from these lenses. What is that lens? It is because of God's image that all mankind, and I believe I'm gonna get a good response from everybody in this room, all mankind, regardless of race, ethnicity, nationality, sexuality, yes, I said, no matter your preferred pronoun, uh, all mankind, your religion, your gender, your social status, all mankind deserves to be treated with dignity dignity, respect, and value because all of mankind, not just the Christians, were created in the image of God. Let's number one. And it's because of the image that a Christian, when a Christian does justice, he's not just doing a good deed, but he's worshiping God. It's because of the image of God is that when I do justice, I am not just doing good deeds. I am worshiping God. You say, how, do I, how am I worshiping God? Because when I do justice, I am not just honoring the person who's had injustice, but I am honoring the God in whom the person is imaged. Yeah. 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 Dr. Timothy Keller simplifies. He says this, justice is giving people what is their due as people in the image of God. Pastor and civil rights activist John Perkins said this, we don't give dignity to people. We affirm dignity. Hmm, isn't that powerful? 
Come on, when you, when you give somebody food, when you, when you give somebody who is kind of less fortunate than you, you're not giving them their dignity. They already have dignity because they are image bearers. We're simply reminding and affirming that they are worth it. I got to keep going. John Perkins says, we don't just give dignity, we affirm dignity. He says, we do justice by seeing God's image in humanity and serving them. Okay. Lens number two, Genesis three, the fall of man, (laughs) right? The image of God and the fall of man. This is the second lens because listen, and this is, this is really, we can debate this and we can have this conversation off stage, but listen, because everyone has been corrupted by the fall, amen? Because everyone has been corrupted by the fall. Even the systems and structures that we create have proclivity towards sin. Hmm. Even the systems and structures are contaminated by injustice and sin. Watch. Though we were created in God's image, because of the fall, we tend to build unjust societies that marginalize and oppress, favor and cast aside, and that make inequitable, and I know that's a triggering word, distributions of goods, capital, human resources, power, and wealth. I remember my son was playing when he first went to preschool, and we would go and pick him up, and him and his friends were always making this one kid the monster. And it's fun at first, but after a while, why is he always the monster? And the reality is there was something they didn't like about this kid, something that made this kid stick out that was awkward. And so that kid was the monster. And so they were able to internalize and create a system in their small little communities in which they avoided the monster. They were able to play with him, but part of playing with him was making him stay the monster while they all ran off on their own. It's a child, right? Listen, if you deny this, you're denying the pervasiveness of sin. You're not looking through both lenses of Christian anthropology. And if you still don't believe me, just look at how God organizes his own people around these realities. Are you ready? Deuteronomy 15, seven through 10. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. Do you know that? It's the Sabbath. Every seven years, all debts were canceled. How about Leviticus 25, 8 through 55? Every 50 years, the year of Jubilee. You want to know why it was so cool? Check this out. Every 50 years, the land went back to its original allotment. That means the land that you have that didn't belong to you, that you have maybe taken or purchased or whatnot, ultimately went back every 50 years to the original allotment. Wow. That means every generation, a generation got to start new, brand new. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. God instituted laws of gleaning. You know what laws of gleaning are? Fascinating. These laws require landowners to leave portions of their produce in their fields so that both the hired workers and the poor could come and glean, glean and get food through their labor. Now I want you to know this isn't socialism and it's not capitalism. Biblical scholar Craig Bloomberg writes, God's law provides a sharp critique to statism that disregards the precious treasure of personal rootage and the untrammeled individualism, which secures individuals at the expense of the community. The biblical view of justice rebukes capitalism and socialism simultaneously. Hmm. Two lenses, image of God, 
fall of man. Two Hebrew words used for justice. Usually used and paired together, righteousness and justice. You'll see it throughout the Old Testament. Mishpat and Zedek. Righteousness and justice. Let me just give you a little taste. Deuteronomy 32, 4. For all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he, justice and righteousness. Psalms 89, 14, righteousness and justice are what the foundations of your throne. Amos chapter five, verse 24, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. Y'all see these two words in conjunction with one another, justice and righteousness. These two Hebrew words help give us a clear picture of God's comprehensive justice that will not fit neatly in any of our human, social, political categories. It's not gonna fit neatly, y'all. Not gonna fit neatly. Progressives, not gonna fit neatly. Not gonna fit neatly. Hard right, not gonna fit neatly. Let's talk about Zedek or righteousness. Righteousness has to do with treating people with dignity and respect that is due to them. You see that first lens, the image of God? Righteousness has to do with treating people rightly with the respect, dignity that is due to them because they're image of God. So you see how that word matches together with the lens and then there's mishpat. So we have righteousness and then we have justice. Justice has to do with judgment, right? And right decision-making. My mail got stolen the other day, y'all. And I come home from riding my bike and I see a police officer at my door. My poor wife thought I had like got hit by a car or something. She was just like, you know, the CHP is like knocking on her door. She's like, you were out riding a bike and the CHP is at the door. And so when they're having this conversation, he comes to me and he says, we have your mail. I said, thank you. <laughs> and he says, and also let me show you who they are. Let me know if you know them. If you don't, let me know if you want to press charges. I didn't know him. I said, press charges. Justice and righteousness, right? We all want justice. We don't just want to recover what's been taken, but we also need somebody to be punished. Are you with me? Amen. Justice has to do with judgment and right decision-making under the law. And it's because of the fall, lens number two, that we do justice, right? We wouldn't need to do justice if there wasn't injustice. So let me get, share with you some basic biblical frames of justice. Number one, biblical justice is restorative, God establishes his justice for those who've been wronged by giving back, making right, or restoring those who've been victimized. Amen? Yes. We're gonna take back what the enemy has stolen, amen? Now, I get it. There's a camp that wants to spiritualize this. Gospel centrality first. This is first and foremost talking about the enemy is stolen and taken spiritually and all the other. But we demonstrate what we proclaim. Biblical justice is restorative. God establishes his justice for those who've been wronged by giving back, making right, restoring. But biblical justice isn't just restorative. It's also retributive. What do I mean by that? God not only restores those who've been victimized, but he judges and convicts those who have been those who have perpetrated right? Author Ken Wisma in his book, Redeeming Justice writes, justice describes both our rights and what we are owed and our responsibilities, that which we owe others and owe to God. I'll say that again. Justice describes both our rights, what we are owed and our responsibility, that which we owe to others and to God. Amen? 
Y'all with me? Okay. Let me switch gears for a minute. I, I wish we had all day, but we don't. Uh, before we land the plane, I, 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 I want to pay close attention to what God pays close attention to. I mean, that, don't we all want to? Throughout the Bible, God is going to show special concern for four groupings of people. Are you ready? The widow, the orphan, the foreigner, which could be the immigrant or, or the alien, and the poor. You're going to see him throughout the prophets, throughout the New Testament. He's going to be concerned about these four groups of people. He's going to show special concern. The widow, the poor, the orphan, and the alien. You with me? Why? Doesn't God care about everyone? Doesn't God love all his creation? Don't all lives matter? And I know that's kind of a, you know, but can I just say that regardless of what you think about the organization Black Lives Matter, we can have a conversation how I disagree on many things. When you say all lives matter, I just want you to know there's more going on to it. It's antagonizing. God does care about all lives. I said it, he does. But he does pay special attention in particular to four groupings of people throughout the scripture. He calls them out by name. And the people of Israel aren't saying, God, what about us? Why does it seem, why, does, why then does he seem to single so regularly out particular groups of people for special care? If everyone, if he loves everyone, all his creation, well, I'm gonna tell you why. First, and I said this, God does love everyone. All lives do matter. But because of the fall, those who are the least of these in human societies are more prone to be overlooked, underserved, disadvantaged and abused. So you know what God does? You ready? God holds the powerful accountable for how they treat an advocate for the powerless. He holds the powerful accountable for how they treat and advocate for the powerless. Psalms 41.1, blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and the poor. Proverbs 29, 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 14, 21, it is a sign, it is a sin to despise one's neighbor, but blessed is the one who is kind to the needy. I don't have all day, but I can give you a litany. Craig Bloomberg explains the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. That powerful, that powerful. He says the righteous are willing to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community while the wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. Which is why Christian justice does not fit neatly to any of the competing views. Whether you're a radical individualist and you believe it's all about my rights or whether you are a progressive who believes it's just about power dynamics and social structures. There are some truths in all four of these views, but the word of God does not agree with them. God's word is more comprehensive and robust to be able to, to rebuke these, the wrongs of these views and to redeem what has been stolen from the word in the first place. Hear me out. God calls his unique people 
to demonstrate righteousness and justice in the earth. But if they ignore that call and continue in unjust ways, you know what he does? He sends prophets. <laughs> he calls his unique, special people to demonstrate righteousness and justice in the earth. But if they ignore that call, he sends his prophets. And his prophets trigger people. He sends his prophets and his prophets rebuke and correct and chastise. So before we finish... I want you to listen to the story of Israel from the prophet Amos. Amen? Again, I don't have time to go through the entire book, but God's people were participating in and turning a blind eye towards a society that was engaging in human trafficking, a society that was price gouging. They would sell grain of wheat and they would actually tip the scales. So you thought you were buying a certain amount, but in reality, they were tipping the scale to make you pay more. And they were doing this specifically with the poor. The courts were corrupt. There were no justice at the gates. They were taking bribes at the gates. What does it mean? That's where the elders would go and adjudicate. Hmm. The justice system was failing there, right? Because if you had money and power and influence, you'd be able to get out of things. They took bribes, extracted extra taxes on the needy. They trampled the poor. These are all words that Amos used. But they still went to church on Sunday. <laughs> so listen to God speak to Israel through Amos. You ready? Amos chapter 5, 21 through 24. This is God. I hate. Hmm. I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your Sunday sermons. <laughs> he says, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offering and grain of offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an over, ever-flowing stream. Hear me out here. God makes a powerful correlation between love for him and love for others. You know what the key issue with Israel was? Not that they weren't doing social justice, but they weren't loving God. They weren't loving God. God makes a correlation between devotion to him and demonstration of justice to others. I, I wore a shirt, Mad Creation. says, love my neighbor. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? He talks about God and he talks about neighbor. And so there is a correlation. Now I want you to know, doing justice doesn't save you. I want you to know that changing power structures and shifting power dynamics, that is not salvation. Deconstructing Judeo-Christianity that is not justice. It's gonna make this world much worse than you think it is. But God does make a correlation between loving him and loving others. He makes a correlation between our devotion to him and demonstration of justice to others. And so if we are not practicing justice, especially to the least of these, it's a sign of hypocrisy 
hypocrisy and idolatry, which is God's number one concern coming through the prophet Amos. He says, you go to Bethel, Israel. Now I want you to know, Israel and Judah are separated at this time. So Judah has Jerusalem. They have their own temple. Israel built a whole new temple in Bethel. But you go to Bethel and you worship idols. There's syncretism going on. You're blending and mixing philosophies and ideologies and religions. You're bringing them to the temple and worshiping me. And the indicator of that is how you treat and trample and cheat and bribe. So he says to his people, how dare you come to church, pray, fast, tithe, sing, and not live and love others in light of how I loved you. You with me? You see, for Old Testament Israel, you wanna know what their motivation was for loving the oppressed? For Old Testament Israel, their motivation for loving the oppressed, God would always remind them of how he delivered them from slavery. (laughs) He would always tell the prophets to tell his people, I am the God who delivered you from bondage fascinating. And he says, and so your love and expression for the marginalized, the oppressed, the down and out is motivated by my love and expression for you when you were marginalized, down, oppressed, and enslaved. He says, so you forgot this and it's no longer motivating this. You know what the motivation is for us? The cross, the cross. We get ready to dismiss here and conclude the cross. Because I think that no matter where you land in this room, left, right, however you lean, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you have to come to the cross. You have to come by way of the cross. I love what Pastor Charlie Dates said. He says this, the cross is the clearest illustration of justice in the scriptures. Amen? The cross is the clearest illustration of justice. Can I get an amen? Um, You might've disagreed with me and I get it. I understand, but the cross is the greatest, the clearest illustration of justice in the scriptures. What does that mean? That's a couple of things. That means Jesus initiated justice, that it started with him. In fact, we practice justice not because God does justice, because God is just. Amen? Jesus is the initiator of justice. And God demonstrates his justice in Christ. Coming down, leaving his place of authority and honor. Leaving his high place, coming down low. Philippians 2 says that he's, he emptied himself, became a man, put on flesh. Talk about condescending. You can't get any lower than that. It would have been low enough for him to come from heaven and be the king of the world. That would have been low. That would have been condescending. But he went lower than that. Born in the stable, poor. Now, I'm not moralizing poor. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you know Jesus more than just because you're rich. I'm not moralizing it whatsoever. I'm just saying, let the same mind that was in Christ be also in you. That he humbled himself, emptied himself, made himself nothing, came down, 
put on flesh, dwelt among us. But that wasn't just it. Then he allowed, <laughs> he allowed the people that he created to put him on the cross. Huh. So that in him, those who are guilty, <laughs> those who deserve justice, those who deserve wrath, because we are sinners, lawbreakers, we are not just, even on our best days. All of us in here, no matter what you voted for, there's no political savior. We all know that. I think everyone in here knows that. Nobody needs to be told that. There's no paradigm politically or philosophically that's going to save us. You can get all the personal freedoms and rights you want. You're just going to be a sinner. And you can tear down all the power structures you want and turn it upside down and the new, there's going to be a new oppressor. We're all sinners. Right? And so we meet at the cross. And the beautiful thing about Christ is that he dies in the place of criminals, even though he was righteous. So that in him, though we are all guilty, we are made right. But justice is still served. Isn't that fascinating? Because that's not fair. Like we, we, did, we did the crime, we should do the time. Otherwise, it's not just, but it becomes justice and God's, ju God's wrath is appeased and justice is served because Christ is punished for us. Oh, how beautiful the word of God. Oh, how beautiful the justice of God. Oh, how unparalleled. There's no philosophy or ideology that any man could bring that would hold anything to the glory and beauty and righteousness and majesty, the justice of God, the biblical justice of God that calls us to demonstrate the gospel. It calls us to make sure that salvation doesn't come through structures and systems, but our salvation is in Christ alone. The beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ that would take people on different sides of their voting, of their political preferences that would come together, repent of their sins and cry at the altar and declare that God is good and God is righteous and God is holy. And the Bible is big enough and strong enough and great enough not just to have gospel declaration, but gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. And that we would let our good deeds shine before the city. That we would allow our good deeds of justice shine before men. And we would point to the Father. So God uses injustice. Christ's death, it's the greatest injustice ever, to bring about his justice. And every day of our lives, in light of the cross, we should seek to see justice and do justice. Amen? There's probably many more questions than there are answers this morning that's just the day and age that we live in. But I think if we could all agree on one thing, it's the cross. And I hope that and I pray that while many of the church are abandoning it, thinking that it 
doesn't have an answer to justice, I want you to know that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the devil. Don't reject Christ. And on the other end of it, for many who are kind of hunkering down and carry this deep concern that the gospel will be eroded by some type of secular narrative, I share that concern. I share that concern. But I don't ever want to allow that fear or that concern to stop me first and foremost from proclaiming the gospel, but also being a demonstration of it and allowing that gospel to salt in my, my language, my words, my awareness, because the world is watching and we have the answer, right? Yes. Amen, no matter like, wait, we have the answer. We have the answer. So let's, let's worship and then we'll pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspired Churches through Instagram at Inspired Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspired Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspiredchurches.com for more information.